Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. And we have two chapters in between that historical account and the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. And in chapter 20, uh, we see God persevere Abraham and Sarah's marriage as Abimelech looked to take Sarah as a wife because he thought that Sarah was Abraham's sister. And in chapter 21, uh, we see the promise that we've been waiting for this entire sermon series, which is uh, finally we see the birth of uh, the promised son of, of Isaac. And, um, and we see kind of God promising, reaffirming his promise to Abraham regarding both his physical um, posterity and his spiritual uh, posterity there. And, uh, and we see that Abraham, he learned something about God that he didn't know uh, before. And I'm going to revisit that in just a little bit and, and, and kind of bring in why it is that that's important. But there's been this theme, if you will, of, of, um, of waiting in this sermon series. And uh, and I'm not quite sure that we all feel the gravity of how long Abraham and Sarah actually had to wait. And when God first promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, he was 75 years old. And then 15 years later, when Abraham was 90, God renewed that promise. And then 10 years later, the age of 100, God delivered on the promise with the birth of Isaac. And that's, that's a total of around 25 years from when God promised Abraham a son to when he actually provided that son through the birth of Isaac. And I don't, feel, I don't think that we feel the gravity of, of, of that waiting season that Abraham and Sarah were in. And I think some of that is because we live in this instant society, don't we? Our society is so instant, we even market things for being instant. Right? Instant oatmeal. Right? Instant mashed potatoes. This all sounds great, doesn't it? Instant noodles in a cup. Instant coffee. Minute rice. Fast food. On-demand TV. Expedited shipping. Some of us, we sit in the fast food drive-thru, we're frustrated that it's taken three to five minutes to get the order, aren't we? We even get sick of, of waiting for letters to come into the mail, right? We, we write a letter to a loved one, we drop that at the post office, it takes a while. We got sick of that, so we invented email so that we can get it out real quickly, and then we got tired of the laborious, tedious task of turning on our desktop computers in order to check that, so we invented smartphones, didn't we? So that we can have instant access to anything that we want, any time of day, 24-7. We're this fast-paced society, and that certainly is, is this heat 
if you will, that, that draws out of us the impatience that already resides in our hearts. And now God, he, he, he doesn't use the same methods as the world, does he? Patience and waiting, it's good for our souls. It's good for our souls. And, and we certainly have seen, as we've, as we've kind of went through this sermon series together, we've seen that, that waiting has been good for Abraham and for Sarah as well. And, and, and God could have ended the story there, right? We could have read Genesis chapter 21, and Abraham and Sarah, they finally get their promised son, Isaac, and the, the, that, that historical account. That could have concluded Abraham and Sarah's story. But we have this, this rather jarring and, and out-of-place chapter in our text this morning because God saw fit to further condition Abraham's soul. And certainly the Lord aims at conditioning our souls as well. And so look with me at Genesis 22. I'm going to read um, all the way to verse 19 that I'm going to pray, and then we'll make some observations um, that I pray the Holy Spirit will use to conform us more to the image of Jesus. So Genesis chapter 22, we have Moses under the authority of the Holy Spirit as the author of Genesis. And this is what he documents for us. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that um, you've allowed us to gather here as your church and worship you this morning in community, in spirit, and in truth. And God, I pray that as we look through this account, God, this rather jarring account here in Genesis 22, Lord, that we would pull from it what you intend for us to see. And that by your Holy Spirit, we would be conformed more into the image of Jesus for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see out of this text is that God ordains circumstances and situations to shape and mold us for his glory and our good. God ordains circumstances and situations to shape and mold us for his glory and our good. And if you want to just kind of bracket, I wish I would have included it in your notes, at the right time. At the right time, God ordains circumstances, situations to shape and mold us. And there's no way to, to, to get around that. There's certainly no way to get around that in our text this morning. We shouldn't pretend that God isn't behind our circumstances for the purpose of conforming us more into the image of Jesus. The first couple of verses here, after these things, right, at the right time, right, God has brought Abraham to this point. I think that after these things, that's significant there. God's brought Abraham to this point knowing that Abraham's faith in this situation was able to respond to God in a way that honored him. So after these things, after these seasons of waiting, after everything that we've been looking at over the last seven weeks, God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him. Is a burnt offering. Right, this is Abraham's biggest test. Right, this, is, this is his absolute biggest test. And notice that the word test is actually in the text, not tempt, because God doesn't tempt, but God tests. He tests the quality of our faith. He does that for our good. Hebrews 11, we'll visit this passage a couple of times this morning, but gives us a little bit of commentary to what's going on here. The author of Hebrews, he says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, is that word, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. These first two verses, and, and really all of Genesis 22, I've said this a few times already, it's, it's, it's rather jarring to me. God's finally delivered on this promise after years and years and years of waiting. And now he tells Abraham to offer up 
his promised son as a burnt offering. And, and I think that Moses here, who's again the author of Genesis, I think he feels the tension behind this historical event. Right? And he, he writes it in a way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to make sure that we as readers know that this is a test from God. God doesn't really intend for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac the way ancient Near Eastern uh, pagan cults in, in, in Abraham's day would do in worship to their false gods. But Abraham, he didn't know this. Right? He doesn't have our, he's not sharing our perspective, right? We've got the end of the story. Abraham doesn't have uh, that perspective. And the language in this passage alone, it reveals the relationship that Abraham enjoyed with Isaac, right? It says, uh, the text says things like his only son whom you love, right? Abraham, he deeply, deeply loved this gift, right, this gift of Isaac that God had given to him. And now Abraham's circumstances have changed, right? In, in, in Genesis chapter 21, the circumstances were live with your promised son as I make you into a great nation. And now we're here in Genesis chapter 22 where the circumstances are sacrifice your promised son as a burnt offering to me. That's jarring. Think about your circumstances this morning. Right? Those circumstances that are just beyond, beyond your control. The death of a loved one. Good health to bad health, and, and now all of a sudden you have this incurable disease. An unbelieving spouse unbelieving children, the inability to have children, right? the, the loss of your job due to cutbacks, depression, right? the list could go on. Right? Believer, these aren't meaningless sufferings. Right? These aren't meaningless circumstances for you. There's a good God behind them with a good purpose. And James certainly teaches us in chapter 1 of James, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then later on, James says, Blessed is the man who remains, or woman who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. And this isn't some cold clinical prescription that James is giving here. Right? James is writing this to a suffering church. And God here in Genesis chapter 22, he's not being cold or harsh toward Abraham. And it's important for us to understand that this morning. And I hope you hear this. That which brings God glory is the best thing for us. That which brings God glory is the best thing for us. And we should know that better than any Christian in all of history. Because we get to enjoy the closed canon of Scripture. We have from Genesis to Revelation, don't we? All right, we know 
how the story of Abraham and Isaac ends. Right? We know the ending to that story. And we know that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross, certified by his resurrection. And we know that God's Holy Spirit dwells in believers, causing us to persevere even through the most difficult of circumstances. And we know that one day, we just sang about it, Christ will return for his church and wipe away every tear from our eyes. Therefore, if you're taking notes, our circumstances shouldn't shouldn't drive us toward hostility and bitterness toward the God who created, saved, and sustains us. Our circumstances shouldn't drive us toward hostility and bitterness toward the God who created, saved, and sustains us. If we, if we find ourselves there, Coastal, we find ourselves deficient in our understanding of who God is. If, if we find ourselves there hostile and bitter toward the Lord, then we, we, we demonstrate that we're not worshiping the God who, who, who created us, but we're worshiping the gifts that he gives to us. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. If we find ourselves there hostile and bitter, our faith, the way James tells us it should, it's not going to produce in us steadfastness. Abraham, he demonstrated great faith during this test. And the reason Abraham demonstrated great faith during this test is because his faith was informed by God's character. Abraham's faith was informed by God's character, and our faith should be informed by God's character. Look at at how Abraham's faith expressed itself. These verses here. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes saw the place from afar, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and will come to you again. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went together. Then Isaac asks Abraham, like, who's, where's, the, where's, the, where's the burnt offering? Abraham said, God's going to provide for himself the lamb. So they went together. Then Abraham gets to the point where he grabs the knife and he holds it over his son. Abraham's faith was informed by God's character. I said at the beginning of this message that Abraham, he learned something about God in those two chapters that uh, we're not able to cover just due to time. And I'm not going to give you all the details. You can go back, and I I pray you do go back and read those two chapters that we're not covering. But um, I'll just kind of give you the summary. Uh, God, uh, or Abraham learned that God is everlastingly faithful. We just sang the song Everlasting God, didn't we? 
I'm not sure if that's where that came from, but it was appropriate for us to sing. But he expresses, he expresses this newfound truth about God, that he was everlastingly faithful by calling God a name that God hadn't been called before. And it's not that God wasn't this. Abraham certainly didn't make God this. God is unchangeable. He stays the same. So God has always been this, will always be this. But this is what uh, God revealed to Abraham that caused Abraham to confess this about God. He called God everlasting or enduring God. Everlasting or enduring God. And if we were to read our text this morning, Genesis 22, if we were to actually read it in the Hebrew, the first few verses, first few verses would have read this way. After these things, that God tested Abraham. After these things, that God tested Abraham. That God, the everlasting and enduring God, is the God who tested Abraham. Abraham knew God. Right? And, and it was this knowledge about God that informed his faith. Right? Abraham, he didn't know whether or not he was going to have to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, but he did know that the God who called him to this test is the everlasting and enduringly faithful God. It was, it was formed by this right devotion, right picture of God. There was nothing mystical about it. There was nothing superstitious about Abraham's faith. Abraham knew God, and that animated, that motivated his faith in obedience to God. And because of this, because of this right view of God, Abraham didn't hold Isaac stingily. He held Isaac with an open hand. He held this good gift that was Isaac with an open hand to his everlasting God. Abraham's faith, right? How is it animated by what he knows to be true about God? Just from our text, we see that Abraham rose early. He rose early, according to our text. He didn't brood. He didn't stall. He obeyed. He obeyed. It was a three-day journey. He stayed steadfast for three days. He didn't, he didn't turn around and leave. Right? He journeyed to the place that the Lord would have him sacrifice his only son. And he was confident that he and Isaac would return. He says in the text, says, Abraham said to the young men that he had brought with him, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. There's this confidence there that Abraham had because of his right view that God is everlasting, that he's the enduring God. And we certainly get some more commentary from Hebrews 11. Right? The author of Hebrews says, we get a little picture into the mind of Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the, promise, the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of, of who it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And get this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Right? Abraham's devotion to the God who's everlastingly faithful motivated his obedience. Motivated his obedience, and it kept the gift that was Isaac in submission to the God that Abraham grew to love 
and to cherish and to worship over all those seasons of waiting, of God conditioning Abraham's soul. So God conditioned Abraham's soul for this moment, and Abraham chose obedience to God, knowing that he was only a steward of Isaac. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Good gifts from God cannot become ultimate things. Good gifts from God cannot become ultimate things. Right? Good gifts becoming ultimate things, those are idols, right? See, a, a right view of God like Abraham demonstrates in this passage that, um, that we should flee idolatry and that we have as believers the capacity to flee idolatry. Right? We don't spot idolatry very easy in ourselves, but we certainly spot idolatry in children really well, Right? And I, I at least appreciate the honesty of the tantrum. Um, uh, but, but kids, they're honest, right? They hold things with a clenched fist, right? Mine. This is mine. I, I want this right now. Not later, right now. It's 3 a.m. in the morning and I want it right now. I said so the honesty of the kid. And, and we as adults, we haven't progressed much past that. Right? We, we just, we're still like this. We just pout and we brood when there, there are no eyewitnesses. Right? At least some of us do. Some of you don't care that there are eyewitnesses. But, <laughs> but we pout, we brood, mostly privately. We have emotional upsets. Hey, God, he's conditioning our souls. Right? He's conditioning us to desire him above all else. Right? Desire him above all things. And, and many times, those good gifts that he gives us, they're clouding our devotion to him. Right? They're in between us and the God who created us. And God's so good to us that, that he, doesn't, he doesn't allow us to stay devoted to our gifts. He doesn't allow that. Sometimes he takes those gifts from us so that we can, in response, declare our neediness for him. Right? Sometimes he, he, he takes gifts from us so that we can find him, and him alone is all-sufficient and all-satisfying. What a treasure, and how good is our God. So this morning, for you, believer, what, what are the gifts that you're holding on to with, the, with this clenched fist? Right, what is it in your heart that you're demanding that you must have? Is it respect? Is it a husband that leads your home spiritually? Is it a wife who is submissive and kind towards you? Is it education? Is it a good salary? Is it children? Is it obedient children? Is it a nice home? A healthy body? Like what, what, are you, what are you holding on to with this clenched fist this morning? And are you willing to open your hand and, and, and find that the Lord is so much more satisfying? Are you willing to entrust God with the gifts that he's already in control of anyways. 
certainly we, we wouldn't just benefit if, if we were to, to let go of those things we hold on to so tightly. We wouldn't just benefit from that spiritually, but I think we would even benefit from it sp- uh, physically. A lot of us would be a lot less stressed, wouldn't we? A lot less anxiety. Good gifts, they absolutely cannot become ultimate things. And so how, how do we know that good gifts are becoming ultimate things that are clouding our devotion to God and the gospel? Do you describe it as a need? I need this. When you think about it, do you think about it that way? Are you habitually depressed when you don't have it? Do you find yourself talking or thinking about it all the time? Do you find yourself angry or, or frustrated or disappointed when you don't get it, when you don't have it? The bottom line question to ask ourselves is this. Is Christ not sufficient? Is Christ not sufficient? Point three in our text here. God provides the sacrifice he demands. God provides the sacrifice he demands. Verses 11 through 14, see the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, offered it as a burnt offering instead of a son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I hope you see the beauty in this passage here. I hope you see Christ in the gospel in this passage. I hope you see that God has provided in this passage. A couple of things that we need to make sure we see here in these few verses. First is this. Abraham foreshadows what God the Father does for us in the gospel. Abraham foreshadows what God the Father does for us in the gospel. Just as Abraham didn't hold back his only son, whom he loves, so too God didn't withhold his only son from us. What passage does uh, that remind us of? Certainly John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in, believes into him, into Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, unlike Abraham, God really did sacrifice Jesus, didn't he? And praise God for that. He sacrificed Jesus on behalf of every sin his church would commit. Every single sin. And God made all of those Old Testament sacrifices obsolete. There's no need for them. They were only pictures to begin with, right? They were pictures showing us, showing the people in the Old Testament glimpses of the promise of the ultimate sacrifice that will be the Messiah. And us who have Genesis to Revelation see that these were just little glimpses, this story that's building and building and building and building until we see that Christ 
is the only sufficient sacrifice to reconcile us permanently with God. Him alone, nothing else. That's what the Old Testament's teaching us. That's what these sacrifices are teaching us, right? They're all pointing to the God who provides for himself. And then we look at Isaac as a type of Christ, right? We see that he foreshadows what God the Son, what Jesus does for us in the gospel. Isaac, he was willing to lay his life down to the God who's everlastingly faithful. And certainly Abraham, being such a good steward and worshiping the God who is, the God who's everlastingly faithful, would have taught Abraham about God. Most scholars um, uh, age Isaac at this point in time between the ages of 18 and 33. And I think probably for most of us when we read this story, we're thinking maybe he's like around three years old, right? The first service I said probably in our children's books that we read, uh, we probably see Isaac really young. And then I thought they probably don't include in the children's books the sacrifice of Isaac. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's the same way with the flood. Like when you see the flood or you go in the children's area, and, and not in our children's area, but they'll paint the flood and it looks like a carnival cruise. Like... <laughs> There's no dead bodies in the water. There's no stinky stench from all, all of them being cooped up on that boat for a really long period of time. Everybody's just happy to be there. There's like a water slide that goes off. Into, it's weird, man. We tell those stories the wrong way. Um, but, uh, but, but most scholars, Josephus says that he, he, he was a first century uh, Jewish historian, dates uh, or ages Isaac at around 33 years old, but somewhere between 18 and 33 Right, that shifts the story a little bit for us. Isaac had to willingly lay his life down. Right? Um, Abraham was old, well over 100 years old. He was anywhere between 118 to 133. Uh, Isaac could have easily overpowered Abraham. Um, but we know that uh, Isaac could make a three-day journey. We know that Isaac understood what burnt offerings were. We know that Isaac understood who God was. We know that Isaac had to carry the wood up to Mount Moriah. And so all of those things shows uh, the humility of this kid who's as devoted to God as his father is. And, uh, and he was willing to lay his life down as a sacrifice to the everlasting, to the enduring God. Right? He submits Isaac foreshadows Christ. The Apostle Paul says this about Christ, Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? The sacrifice of Isaac, with all its tension right? and with all of its, its drama, should direct our gaze to the God who provides for himself. Right? Only God can meet the demands of God. The Lord teaches this to Abraham, he teaches this to Isaac, and consequently he teaches that to all of us, right, who would be Abraham's spiritual children. Last thing I want you to see in our text this morning <clears throat> is that God accomplishes his purposes. God accomplishes his purposes. See, in verses 15 and 19, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, he's saying, by my name, I swear by my name. It's 
the only time God does this in his interaction with Abraham. By myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham's obedience here was a result of the faith that God produced in him. Right? Those years, we've, we've talked about this already, those years of waiting, those years of, of, of struggle, those years of going back and forth between being faithless and faithful led to this point for Abraham. God conditioned Abraham's soul so that he could accomplish his will in Abraham at the right time. And God's doing that with me and you. He's doing that with me and you. The second way we see that God accomplishes his purposes is this. The Father's planned salvation, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit, makes Abraham's offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. I'm talking about spiritual offspring here. If you're a believer in this room this morning, you're included in that count. And I, to know me is to know that I'm, I'm passionate about this particular part, right? We, just think about that statement, right? When we see our Savior face to face, it's not going to be like some sad birthday party that nobody shows up for. Right? It, it's not going to be. And I think that sometimes we, that's how we picture eternity, right? Just a few of us there, everybody else is in hell. And certainly there, there's a hell. And everyone who is not found in Christ will be in that hell. Which is why it's so important for us to evangelize, to be obedient to the Great Commission. But there's something to this statement that Abraham's offspring is numbered as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. Right? The gospel throughout history, right? in the present and in the future, is accomplishing exactly what God has predestined for it to accomplish even before he created the entire world. Right? And, and what is it accomplishing? It's accomplishing taking people and causing them to confess and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to repent of their sin and to see that they've been settling their entire lives and now God offers them himself. And that should motivate us as a church, right? That should encourage us as a church that we're taking a, a mission that God has given to us that he will accomplish through us that we can invite people to join us and to enjoy who God is for them in Christ Jesus, knowing that we come in the authority of Jesus. And so my prayer is that you would see this morning that God's conditioning your souls, no matter where your circumstance, no matter what your circumstances are, and that he's building you for eternity. 
and that through your circumstances, he's, he's building this steadfastness into, in you so that you can savor him more and more and more and so that you can faithfully herald the good news of the gospel to people who are dying without it. For his glory and our good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that... Um, Lord, you are, uh, con- you are busy building us for eternity, God, and, and I pray, God, that you would give us the mindset to not be sidetracked by the temporary, Lord, this vapor of a life, but help us to hold everything open-handed in submission to the Lordship of Jesus. And so, God, I pray that you would encourage us as believers, and God, I pray for the those who aren't believers in this room this morning, God, I pray that they would be convicted and see that they're settling for something so much less, counterfeit, cheap stuff, and that Christ really is sufficient. Thank you for this Lord's Day of worship. You've allowed us to gather. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.